This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. Ben, last few weeks, we've really been looking at pieces of the Sermon on the Mount, focusing first on who we are, our identity in Christ, and then secondly, at what we do, dealing with some topics like anger and lust and getting even, some of those little little things in life. And we're going to wrap that up today with the third piece of it, and that is how we live. Giving, praying, and fasting. You know, many years ago, when I was young, I was, it was before I was in middle school probably, early, or late elementary, early, early middle school maybe, I remember the pastor of the church that I was attending, and he had a, a little ditty that he used to describe what it meant to be a faithful Christian. And I remember the phrase today, he said, read the Bible and pray, go to church and pay. <laughs> if you can do those things, then you are on your way. <laughs> I don't know if that last part was in there or not, but I remember getting in the back seat of the car and leaving the church that day and having a conversation with my mom. My dad was driving and my mom and I talked about such things. And I remember saying, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade, whatever I was in, saying, Mom, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> is that is that really all there is to it? If so, like we've we've got it, right? Read the Bible and pray, go to church and pay. Let's just launch into this topic from there. What is the difference between what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6 about giving, praying, fasting, those kinds of things versus that? <laughs> oh man how much time we got it's it's hard to believe that i'm a christian right after <laughs> after that uh yeah i mean I, i'm not sure uh how much of an expression of uh a heartfelt relationship with christ uh was uh born or present in uh your, your preacher's word uh to you while it does have a nice rhyme to it I guess um, I I remember it. You do, you do. All you can, you know. They always say, "What well, put a put a slogan on." If you a good slogan is something you can put on a shirt and then remember it forever. But I also remember like the McDonald's commercials from when I was a child too. So I, you know, stuff sticks in my. Are those head different from today? Oh uh, yeah, they're they're different. Okay, yeah. was that via TV or radio in your day? We had TVs oh, when I did. was a child. Yeah, they okay. they, they existed. You and. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, the, the heart of what compels us uh, to give, um, is it a, a response to God's redeeming grace in our life? Um, it's just not out of obligation, but out of desire and want. Talk about that a little bit more. That's you, you've got my mind interested. You know, there, there are the things that we are called to, to do. Um, as followers of Christ. But the things that we're called to do emerge from our relationship in Christ. And so as the heart is changed and transformed to be a deeper reflection of Christ, 
and we come uh, to do those things not so much out of obligation. We do those things compelled by God's goodness and generosity to us. So as we think about uh, financial giving, you know, always my, my heart turns toward the Macedonian church that Paul talks about in Second Corinthians uh, 8 you know, where they gave out of their poverty, what compelled them to give? Well, the generosity of God's grace to them. They were so captured uh, by uh, their salvation. They were so captured, their hearts and, and lives were so captured by Christ. They saw an existent need and they just freely gave out of their own poverty, uh, Paul tells us. And so really, what's the motivation behind what we're doing? And when, when I'm doing something that Christ has commanded me to, being aware enough, being self-aware enough that in those moments when my, when my heart isn't in it, um, that doesn't mean I, I shouldn't necessarily do what God's called me to do, but it's a call for me to pray for my heart to want and to cherish and to love that which God uh, loves and cherishes and calls me to do. So we have to find that that place between obligation or duty moving beyond that into relationship with God, with Christ, is what I hear you saying. Because I, I do think that sometimes that for the the modern Christian, we might look at these topics like giving, tithing, praying, going to church as obligations. They're, they're the duties of a good Christian, a person who is going to be really seen by not just God, but maybe even the community of faith as, as good people. But it, you're saying it goes beyond that. It goes into the, the heart. It's a, a relational aspect of our walk with Christ. Yeah, and so, I mean, is our heart always going to be in it? No. And I think that that's when, it, you know, that, that then compels me to to pray, to, to lean more deeply into my relationship with Christ, recognizing that my heart isn't where it should be. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a fine example of this. Um, I'll be vulnerable for a moment here, uh, but you talking about McDonald's made me think of this. Um, I, I, I love McDonald's coffee. There's not much that I, I do love from McDonald's um, based upon a uh, experience with food poisoning when I was five. I don't really dive into McDonald's hamburgers. So McDonald's, Starbucks, and go with McDonald's coffee. Yeah. McDonald's had, I mean, oddly has some really good coffee. Anyway, I was in, I was in line one Sunday morning, one Sunday morning, I was in line at my uh, local McDonald's. I was headed to church. It's like six o'clock in the morning. And the guy in front of me was noticeably still in his pajamas. His hair was all disheveled. And all I could do as I saw that car in front of me, as I'm preparing to go to church and to preach that morning, is envy that guy. And as I looked at him, I thought, man, he is going back home, bringing McDonald's to the family. He's going to sit on the couch, watch probably NFL today as he prepares for his slate of afternoon games, probably get his fantasy football team uh, in line in, in preparation for those games, and I sat there and I envied him. I don't want to say that the pandemic is your fault here, but uh, <laughs> we did, were shut down for several weeks, and you were leisurely uh, watching the services from yeah. your couch like anybody else. But I, but, but in looking at that guy on my way to church, and 
really honestly at that point wanting to go home. I mean, I was exhausted by that particular week's events, not wanting mm -hmm. to be in service. And I'll tell you what, there was that moment where my heart was just convicted. And, uh, you know, I, I drove over to church with, with coffee in hand and, and went into at the church I was at, we had this beautiful little chapel and just spent time in prayer praying for God to uh, reinvigorate my heart, confessing that my heart was not where it needed uh, to be. And that in that moment that I was, I was there, I was present out of sheer obligation rather than some heartfelt desire and praying for the, the Holy Spirit to move upon my heart, um, to nurture my heart, to soften my heart, to align my heart with God's will, God's desire uh, that I would that I would in, in that moment even live into the joy of my, of my calling um, as, I, as I professed and spoke relative to, to the love of God, but that would become the reality of, of my heart. So in that case, you were pressing into it even though you didn't feel like it. Yeah. And the reality is there are maybe times when we don't feel like doing what, we, what are called here in the scripture acts of righteousness, right. but we do them anyway. And the motive is to honor God. The motive, motive, I think, is to be in relationship with God as opposed to getting credit by others seeing us. In fact, right. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are today, and the very first verse is like a summary sentence for the whole— you know, remember those when you had to write papers and you had to write your thesis sentence <laughs> at the beginning? That, I think that's what this is. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The broad statement, acts of righteousness, your, your righteous acts in front of others, it's a, it's a strong word. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. If your motive is to have others see you live out your righteousness and be a good Christian. Yeah. That's kind of a weird thing. So that goes on in, in verse two with the first topic is giving. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. That whole phrase hypocrites is an interesting one that is here. We we all know that we can finish this sentence. The church is full of hypocrites. Everybody can say it with me. There's a perhaps a perception or a misconception, or maybe it's a reality that many see the people in the church as hypocritical, as saying they believe one thing and doing something else, as being actors on the stage, which the word intimates really, the word of being a hypocrite. So it says that when we are in the act of giving, giving to the needy, giving to the poor, giving to missions, giving perhaps even to the church so that the church can be involved in these activities, it's not something that we want to put up on a banner and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's, it's something that we want to do in order to honor God and God alone. The scripture goes on to say, when you, it's in verse 3, when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Well, obviously, your left hand knows what your right hand's doing. So what's Jesus getting at here when he uses that, that metaphor, your left hand, right hand? What do you think he's aiming at when he, when he says that? I think at the end of the day, he's just, our relationship with God is not to be performative. Um, you know, we're supposed to exist uh, not for the sake of our own glory or to make much of ourselves in this world, but we are made to exist for the sake of God, to make much of him uh, in this world. And so Jesus, in, in this passage and in the passage to come on, on prayer and, and fasting, he's really getting to the heart of that, the motivation behind what we're doing. Am I doing this for a pat on the back? Am I doing this for, uh, for the response of, of, of men and, and women? Or am I doing this for the sake of, of God's glory? Yeah, because he, said, he does say exactly the same thing, really, in, about praying mm-hmm. in verses 5 to 8 and fasting in verses 16 to 18. It's not a public display. Yeah. It's meant be- between you and your relationship with God, and that's how it's to be lived out. And if it's not, if it's, if it's for human consumption, then that's all we're going to get. We're going to get human approval or disapproval, and that will be the sum total of it. So we'll let the the, read, the listener go ahead and read on your own the ones about praying in verses five to eight and fasting in verses sixteen to eighteen. Now, fasting is not something that is practiced nearly as much as praying and giving, is it? No, no, it's not. And oftentimes, when sadly, when fasting is practiced, usually, you know, the season of Lent is right around the corner because uh, time flies, but uh. A lot of times, you know, during Lent, somebody will, uh, in quote, uh, give up something for Lent. And even our, our fasting is oftentimes for the self. You know, I'm going to give up something. I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent in order to get in better physical health. Um, so it's not a, even in the midst of our fasting, which should be done, again, for, for God's glory as a means to stepping into our relationship with Christ becoming more dependent upon God, um, we, we see even the motivation oftentimes behind fasting within the modern church is often built around some vice that I have that I'm giving up for my own sake, not for the sake of Jesus Christ. So that leads to, I think, what we, let's, let's take a look at this section in Matthew 6, 25, when Jesus is talking about worrying because all this seems to lead one thing next to the next to the next. And in his, in his section on worrying, he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Stop. Do not worry about your life. Are, are, in, your, in your estimation, are most Christians worry-free? <laughs> Is that a rhetorical question? No, <laughs> no <laughs> but I'm not no. going to make you give examples. But <laughs> no, no, we are not. We are not uh, worry-free. Um, oftentimes, you know, I find that we are uh, constrained more by our worry, more by what might happen, rather than rather than considering what it is to be faithful uh, in this moment. Um, we constantly. 
uh, we're, we're constantly sometimes constrained in our faithfulness to Christ in what God's calling us to do because we're like, well, you know, what is, what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, what's going to happen with the economy tomorrow? What's going to happen with uh, the supply chain? Uh, funny story real quick relative to that. My, uh, my wife and, and youngest were at Walmart the other day and there was a bunch of stuff that was off the shelves and nowhere to be found. And they got back in the car and my wife, Sherry said to my youngest, she said, you know, sorry, honey, we couldn't get this. And my eight year old said, mom, supply chain issues. <laughs> and I'm like, only in today's world with my eight year old, <laughs> what our eight year olds know about supply chain issues. But yeah, those are the things that oftentimes I think constrain us is we, we keep waiting for when's that other shoe going to drop. And we oftentimes live even in our relationship with Christ, we live out our faith through that lens. It, it's tough though, because every day we put on clothes, every day we eat food, every day we drink something. Every, in the everyday world, we, we get in a car, we, we use our mobile device, like, et cetera, et cetera. So when, when Jesus says, don't worry about the stuff of life, it really, I think it penetrates us because mm-hmm. these are the everyday activities of life. This is what we do all of the time. And to, and to simply say, okay, I'm not going to think about it. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about what I eat. I'm not going to worry about shopping. I'm not going to, is easier said perhaps than done. Sure, sure. Well, I think too, I think Christ speaks this into us also uh, to question again, what is it that we're pursuing in life is, is my first pursuit by which all other pursuits flow out of it is my first pursuit as he gets to, you know, in verse, uh, in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What, what am I pursuing in life? Am I constrained so much by worry? Am I constrained so much by what I have, what I don't have, what I might have, or is the priority of my life ultimately uh, seeking to grow in the righteousness of Christ that I would exist for God's glory? Is that the priority of my life? And again, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, but we see this so often in how, uh, in, in our prayer life, you know, so much of our prayer life is focused upon the things that we worry about, whether it's our health, uh, our well-being, job status, financial issues. That's so much of what our, our prayer life focuses on, the material aspects of this world, rather than our prayer life focused in on growing in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that where my heart is centered on pursuing the righteousness of God, growing in the righteousness uh, of God. Is that, is that my, my, my heart's desire? Is that the emphasis of my life? Or is the emphasis of my life the material aspects of this world which constrain ultimately, which would constrain my life for Jesus? Yeah, so to put it in perspective for for maybe you and for me as pastors, is the trajectory of, of our lives toward the kingdom yeah. and the righteousness of God or toward, hey, good sermon preacher, right? good Bible study teacher, good job leader, the, the kudos that sometimes come with this office. We get plenty of the opposite, but we do get plenty of attaboys. Absolutely. And it becomes, a, to put it in that real perspective, is for us to be able to say, 
I should not worry, not only about clothes and food and drink, but the approval of people, including in my own church. Amen. And that's a tough rope to, to walk across in, in many ways, I think, because nobody wants to continually be said, you're doing a bad job. <laughs> right, right. And that was no good. Right. And it'd be nice if you studied a little bit before you preached. You know? I mean, nobody, <laughs> right. nobody right. wants that. Right. But we can, I think we can tend to go the opposite direction of just going and going and going until we make sure that we're going to get the approval of people and what I hear in this passage is that whether it's the righteous acts that we do to get the approval of people or the things in life that we worry about, all of it is subjugated to the glory of God, the righteousness of God, the grace of God that's in our lives. Amen. Yeah. That's a good word. All right. You well, might you might be good at this preaching thing. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but now God, yeah. <laughs> no, just thank you. I'm going to say that. All right. Well, this has been a good discussion today. I, I really, I really have enjoyed it. Uh, next time we're going to be leaning into a little bit more of Jesus' activity back into the world as he meets the needs of a worried Roman centurion and a grieving poor widow. Folks, if you'd like to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app, click on the Life of Jesus link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the life of Jesus. We are looking forward to being with you next time. Uh, Ben, what's your final word on this topic or anything else? No, I'm looking forward to next, next week. All right, folks. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you.